Hi, welcome to Living Water Bible Fellowship's audio sermons. It's our prayer and hope that you'll be encouraged and uplifted by the preaching of God's Word. Stick around after the message to hear more about how to contact us. <laughs> and uh, glad you're here tonight. We, uh, uh, this is a, a, you guys are the guinea pigs, so thank you for that. Uh, trying to figure out this new building and what, what it all entails. Uh, we, I, I had originally sent out an email, if you got it on Monday or, or whenever I sent it out, about we'd be in another classroom. Then I tried to set these tables up, and I realized these are really big tables. <laughs> so even today, we ordered some narrower tables for classrooms, you know? So we'll get those in probably, uh, probably in a few weeks uh, after we take a break next week. We get to the, uh, uh, it's uh, April 20th, I wrote it down in the, in the syllabus there. Uh, we'll probably be in that other classroom, that first classroom again. That's the game plan. If the tables fit, <laughs> then, then we'll keep adjusting. You know, we think they're going to fit, but you just never know. So we're doing the best we can, and uh, we're, uh, we're in the midst of being gracious to one another and kind, as one of our elders said, sweet and gentle with one another. That's the beautiful thing about change is you've got to be sweet and gentle with one another and adapt and overcome and all, all in this together. So hopefully we're all going to learn some things and keep growing. But, uh, yeah, I think uh, we, we'll leave that door open unless it gets too loud. I guess, Art, I guess you're the... I'll be in charge. Yeah, you're... Yeah. And so, yeah, uh, thank you. Um, bathrooms, if you need a bathroom, they are in the, the next hallway over. So, and I, I was, I, you know, I was looking at how do, how do, it's like these new toilets, how do you flush them? <laughs> so if you have to stand there a little bit and figure it out, it's okay. No, no, no pressure. You know, change is change and uh, <laughs> just enjoy it. So, uh, yeah. Uh, boy. And we got, if you've never seen the solar panels, there they are. Yeah. Beauty. Awe-inspiring. Yeah, I don't know what we can do about that, but you can count the solar panels <laughs> if you get bored in class. <laughs> uh, I think I think we'll just get going here. Uh, Lord God Almighty, we uh, we gather in your presence tonight. We gather because we want to know more about you. We, we want to know you. We we want to be your people. We want to. Uh, speak about you accurately. We want to live in your presence uh, in, in a way that we're thinking about you accurately and living out our, our faith in, in accurate ways and true ways. So Heavenly Father, we ask for the grace as we, as we just run down this long list of attributes, Lord, that you'd give us uh, the things that you want us to learn, the things each individually that you want us to pull away and apply to our life. And we do ask, Lord, that over time, this massive amount of information that we've been covering that, that somehow all the, the, the dots would start to connect in, in ways that, uh, that can glorify you and be used to serve you and to love people and to serve people and share the gospel and, 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 uh, yeah, and, and make much of you in this world. So we, we humbly ask tonight uh, for your grace and your favor upon us that, uh, that uh, yeah, we, we would learn and, and grow and know you more. We so love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, let's start off with the quiz. In Jesus' name. 
much. There is, there's uh, some pens back there if anybody needs a pen, if you don't have a, a writing instrument. And just, uh, you know, I, these, these can be really irritating to people, but uh, just, just try to match them up. Where does number one go of all those definitions? I'd suggest maybe reading the first definition there and trying to find which one of 1 through 27 and then go that way. It seems to go faster if you go, go that direction. And your, I don't know, God, I don't know if, if there's a crown, a jewel in your crown, if you get 100%. I don't know what that means. Probably not. No. I should have said this is an open book test.
Hey, Jeanette. Hi. Found us. Did we have homework? No, we're just taking the yeah, final quiz. Oh, oh, no. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no one's crying too bad. Can we use the rain building tomorrow for overturns? Absolutely. Okay. Yes. All right, cool. For sure. Yeah, I, I meant to... Mr. Devine told me that they're... Yes. ...meeting now in this wonderful new building. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm excited we can get that going for you full-time. It's hard. It's open book. Oh, oh. oh. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> if that helps, I mean, yes, it does. If it helps, yeah. That's why all the pages were turning. <laughs>
Five more minutes. And don't don't worry if you're. Uh, and oh, you're not. We're talking about the infinite God here. This is hard.
Well, go ahead and start wrapping up. Very good. Uh, I didn't hear anybody whimpering or weeping openly. <laughs> uh, we are, I, I don't really want to, we, we could spend the rest of the class going through these and uh, wrestling with these, but was there any, any one of these that you really, really want to know the answer to or you really struggled with? Which one is that? One, two, four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you get all of these directly from Grudem? This this came out yeah, this came out of uh, his workbook. So this this is what they put out for his the workbook for this and I just post this quiz from, from the workbook. So it definitely makes you think. Oh, did you hear that? All the answers are in the glossary of the book. 
Oh, really? I was looking. Yeah, one five, like one five one three, like right now, and you go back. One five one three. Go back somewhere and get three hundred. Fifteen oh six, fifteen oh four. Oh, look at that! So the the professional students went right to the glossary. <laughs> All us other folks were struggling. <laughs> well, uh, so uh, going through that exercise, um, it, it was humbling. Is, it, is that okay to say for everybody? That's a humbling exercise to try to define the, all these attributes and characteristics and, and try to understand it. And so when we, when we think about knowing God in this life, we always have more room to grow. We always can grow in our knowledge and grow in understanding. We can always build upon the things we've learned. And so we, we, one of the spiritual growth ideas of sanctification is we never arrive, either in our knowledge or in our practice. We can always keep growing in, in understanding God and living out His truth and His character in real world um, situations so let's uh, let's let's start uh, tonight where uh, there's gonna be certain things that I'm gonna probably gonna skip and I just realized there's no clock in here so that's another thing to think about um, if, if uh, I forget what time it is please uh, tell me as you're walking out that it's past time <laughs> but the moral and your outline there the moral attributes of God and again next week we don't have a we don't have a meeting next week it's Easter week so uh, start reading if you are have some time to read start reading chapter 14 of the Trinity because that's a long chapter 60 pages 60 pages oh <laughs> yeah so, but it's but it's worthwhile because this is one of the core core truths of our faith, who God is, the Trinity. So we really want to wrestle with that and and get get into that a lot. So please start reading about the Trinity. Uh, I got this quote on, on your outline there, the moral attributes of God. Not only is God morally perfect, he is the standard for morality. Uh, rather than he himself being ruled by some moral concept external to himself, God's disposition towards creation is the standard at which we will be judged and we are to judge all human conduct. Give me some feedback on that statement. Um, one of the things that people always, you know, tell, tell you or you hear is you're not supposed to judge. You're not supposed to judge. So, you know, I, I see that often in you know, the Bible. But, you know, how do you approach that? People in, in today's culture can choose to be whatever they want, and they can choose to live however we want they want. And we are not, in, in cultural standards, supposed to judge their behaviors or their identity or, or anything like that. Um, we're just supposed to acknowledge and appreciate and support. No, judgment is evil in today's culture. Right. right. Biblically, are we supposed to? Right. And, and, what, and God is... is the definition of, of righteousness, goodness, truth, 
all these different characteristics we looked at. Give me some more information. Give me some more feedback on that 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 statement. I thought that we can't necessarily judge um, people that aren't Christians. I mean, we can keep away from them, or, you know, or try to talk to them, but them, but. From what I understand, we're not supposed to judge them, but we can judge other Christians. If okay. If we think they're doing something wrong. Well, as, we as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're supposed to call each other out right. and in love, yeah. call people to God as our standard right. and His commands and His... Uh, so, yeah, it, people are lost when, they, when they're when they not born again, when they don't have the Spirit of God in them. Yeah. We can understand that they are going to make some... If we aren't the conscience for our culture, what is... Okay, oh, that's a good question. so that getting at that statement there, uh, what what is the standard? What is the what is the truth that uh, we're we're to live by, or what is truth? Uh, this this statement goes back to God as the standard. He's the standard of morality. What what else are you seeing in this statement? But then, when you pose that question of like. Great question. What do you think about that? Well, I think even, I was just looking up the Sermon on the Mount. It says, judge not, that you be not judged. Right. For the, with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So I think there's a sense of, and then it goes on, you know, take the speck, take the log out of your eye before you cut the Yeah. We don't impose uh, ourselves as holier than thou or better than others or over others, but there is a God who is perfect and righteous and true. And uh, so th- it, those those verses come in a certain context, of course, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> but I think that the word judgment also seems to come with some condemnation. It does. Uh, and you know, positioning ourselves as, as the judges. And I think we are called to be discerning. Yes. To be wise, to to, to know the truth and to be discerning, but not to to condemn. Yep. yep. So we we don't put ourselves in that position of being the judge. We're not the judge, but there is a judge. Yeah, maybe part of the context is the leading vengeance to God. He's the judge. Yeah. He's the the ultimate. And and so my, my big point in this is we enter into the moral attributes of God is that there, there's got to be some standard. Like, how do we know right from wrong? Uh, we, we make it up ourselves, or is there a standard? And so that, to Jordan's question, we will never arrive at perfect understanding. But we have, as we've studied in those first four or five chapters, we have the Word of God. We have revelation from God that says, this is, this is the command, this is the truth, this is, this is right, this is wrong. And so we're appealing to some standard in our economic system, in our justice system, in, in our educational system. Every, there's an ultimate standard to everything. And what is that? If it's not God, if, there, if it's not the creator, what is the ultimate standard? 
What, 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 are, what are the standards in our culture? What, what do people appeal to as the, for their, their, their higher self? Higher self, what'd you say, Dave? Everyone does what is right in their own eyes. Mm-hmm. The most good for the most people. The mo- okay, a utilitarian ethic, most good for most people. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, it, it, this is getting at if we don't have, if, if there isn't an ultimate standard, everyone's going to make up their own standard. But we, we, of course, we run into issues here and struggles here with, okay, Islam says, you know, uh, Allah is the standard. Christianity says Yahweh is the standard and Jesus is the standard. So there's, there's, more, there's more to the argument. <laughs> of course, why do we think that Jesus is, is uh, different or, or better than Allah, et cetera, et cetera. So that, that's where you get into some of the comparative religion things. But I think the, the basis of, of Western civilization is that there is an ultimate standard. And, and God is, and so we base our ultimately base our laws and our, our so much of how we live and what we expect on on a divine standard. And so we, I think, as we get into the book, we'll see more of that. But so as we get into the, the moral a- attributes of God, goodness, uh, and I love Grudem's quote there. What is good? Good is what God approves. Um. We're seeing a, a real-life situation being lived out with, uh, of course, uh, Putin in Ukraine right now. Uh, he's, he's saying that what is good is to, you know, do his thing and reclaim land and stuff. And so there's going to be an argument on human, human levels about what is good. But we say, ultimately, not what I feel, not what I desire, not what my neighbor thinks, not what our culture thinks, but what God says is good is what is good is where we have to go now. We could argue about that a lot and talk about that a lot, but I think that's the starting point. Um, and uh, so in our culture, uh, even Isaiah way back when called it out, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Uh, people have always tried to frame issues a certain way or tried to deceive others or or argue for what they say is good. And, uh, you know, even Jesus, when he was, when he was uh, healing people and casting out demons, even the Pharisees and the scribes said, you know, he's, he cast out demons by the prince of demons. Uh, there's always going to be people that claim what they're doing is good when it's, when it's not. Are there ex- some examples in our culture of people calling some, something good which isn't? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we don't even have to spend time talking about that, I don't think. If people aren't defining good by the standard of God's goodness, what are they using as their standard? And again, that's you can talk about that all day. Right. Hey, just a, uh, a, personal, a personal story. When I was a little kid, my dad, you know, when he left my mom, I, uh, he, he said, this is for the best, this is good, you know, and as a little guy, just wrestling with that and talking about that, it, it made me think in my mind, what is, what's going on here, and, and not, you know, everyone's got their own story and their own history and their own background, but, but my, my dad, you know, as I, I knew him, he was, he didn't want to push through in a relationship with my mom, and so he came up with his own and she wasn't a perfect person. <laughs> and this is just my story. You know, uh, he, he, he called what was in, 
you know, what I, is that I perceive it. I don't know the whole story. I, I'm not omnipresent, <laughs> right? But I, I could see it. He was, he was wanting to get out of a relationship, so, but he, he, he called what he was doing good. And, and just talking to relatives and talking to other family members, it wasn't good. Maybe it was good for his emotions. Maybe it was good for his sanity. But what was, what was right in God's sight? Those kind of, those kind of questions, you know. So uh, standards, this is, this is super important. God is good. He's the definition of goodness is what Gruden gets at. Uh, how is good related to loving others? Um, this is application. Uh, Galatians 6.10, So then as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are the household of faith. Uh, we could bring our own definitions of good into the mix, and it might not be good. So we have to have a standard to measure by. Right? And God is that standard. That's, that's a huge, huge deal for us. His, his commands, His principles, His precepts, his character, that's what is good. And so if we want to know what good is, we have to go to God. Uh, Romans 12, 8 through 10, Let no, no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. Whatever other commands there may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of law. How is doing good related to loving others? Say that again. How is doing good related to loving others? Well, with love comes caring and wanting the best for a person you love. So That's good. God says that's good. <laughs> I, I put those, those scriptures back to back there. Let us do good to everyone. What, what is good? It, to love. Morally. To love. To love. to love is good. What, and what is love? That we, how, how does Grudem define love? God's love is... Self-giving. Self-giving. Self is a great... Is service? Service. Service. Yeah. God eternally gives himself to others. That's love. And that's good. And so the ultimate definition of good and love is Jesus Christ. As he as we celebrate in the incarnation in the cross. And yet Jesus says, I call you good. There's only one good and that's God. Yeah, and, and he yeah, in the context of course, he, he was he was pointing the guy to God. He wasn't denying he was good. Right? He was, he was using, like, what are you talking to me? You don't know who I am, do you? You say that I'm good? Only God is good. Are you saying I'm God? You know, so he wasn't denying he was God or he was good, but he was just, in the context, he was redirecting the man to think about who he was talking to. Um, it, it, some of these things, as you start looking at them, they do start overlapping. Love is good. Good is love. Uh, th there's really a lot of parallel definitions to these things. Self-giving is good. Um, selfishness, selfishness is not good. That's what makes that test so hard. There's a lot of there's a lot of stuff all, there. Yeah. It's all in the open. Yeah. So you could say they're all unity. 
<laughs> Amen. Like a, a Great application. Yeah. Yeah. So I, God, I think the big takeaway is God is good, and He's the standard of goodness. Good is what God approves, and God always approves of love. Not necessarily the warm fuzzies that we think. It's, it's the self-giving, self-sacrifice, serving others. The agape love, yep. The angel's message was peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And some, some translations say peace toward men of goodwill. I often have to ask myself, am I being a person of goodwill? Great question. It's hard to always be a person of goodwill. It really is. It's really hard. You're walking through the wind and you go into the store <laughs> and <laughs> you just want to get out of the store and get home. But somebody stops you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that that's uh, let's on the next page there. Uh, he he tied three attributes to the goodness of God: mercy, grace, and patience. Without looking, try to recite Grudem's definition: God's goodness, mercy is God's goodness towards. <laughs> yeah. The, the, yeah, the, the distressed, the suffering. So doesn't that bring doesn't that bring light? His mercies are new every morning. What a hopeful verse! Wow, God's compassions, His mercies are new every morning. It's uh, it's it's really neat to think about. I, I really liked how he put that definition. And grace is God's goodness towards. Those who only deserve punishment, which is every one of us. God is so gracious to every one of us. And was, was grace just a one-time thing? <laughs> no. No. Man. It's every minute. Every, yeah. Thank you, Lord, for your grace right now. Thank you, Lord, for the grace you've given me today. Thank you for the grace you've given my family. Thank you for the grace you've given me last week and the week to come. And Yeah. Patience, God's goodness in, with, in withholding of justice. <laughs> wrath or justice, yeah, yeah, towards those who deserve it, yeah. So um, we have a, a God of mercy, grace, grace, and patience, and that's the, those that all falls under the term goodness in, in Grudem's estimation. And just just to remind everybody. Uh, just as he's defined these things, he is using his own schema or his own organizational way of talking about the attributes. So other theologians might say it a little bit differently, but I, it, it, these are all really good definitions. And, and other, def, other groups or other theologians wouldn't put these under goodness as, as Grudem wants to, even though he's separated them out in his book, he wants to put them under goodness. Uh, which of these attributes are you most needful of today? <laughs> Oh, <laughs> trick question. Uh, what, 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 have, what are you most thankful for? Patience. Patience? Yeah. <clears throat> and, and you can say all again. So if you are, uh, if you can't sleep at night and you just, uh, you know, don't know what to pray about, you could just, these three, you could spend hours 
if you just thanking God for all of his mercy and reciting all the ways he's been merciful. That or he is, I am. That he is the I am. Yeah. Uh, you, could, you could just run down, Lord, I need mercy for. Uh, you, you have been merciful in the past for. Uh, my, my kids need mercy for. Right? You could, you could spend so much time praying just on these three attributes and lifting it up to the Lord. God, thank you for your patience. Uh, back in 1992, when I was a punk, <laughs> that you didn't blow me up yeah. back then, right? And you could just, these, uh, it's just wonderful to know that these are God's characteristics and qualities, that he's good and he's like this. So if, you, and if the devil comes and he's talking to you about how God's out to get you, or if, you know you've lost you've lost um, any hope. You can go run towards these definitions of grace, and oh my God is gracious mm-hmm. in Jesus Christ. He's done this and this and this for me. And you can tell yourself the truth. Preach your, preach the gospel to yourself yeah. through these uh, these these characteristics, these attributes of God. Um, any any thoughts on those, or anything that? goodness or love, uh, mercy, grace, and patience. That first prayer that you all learned as a kid, God is great and God is good, and we thank him for our food. By his hand, we all are fed. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. That's the first prayer I learned as a real, real good kid. God is great and God is good. I had no idea how profound that theology was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what's the rest of it? God is great and God is good, and we thank him for this food. By Provider. Hand, we all are fed. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. Yeah. Praise God. You yeah. all didn't learn that. Not, I, the no, not the second part, just the first. Yeah. I learned, bless us, O Lord, in these thy gifts which we are about to receive through the mercy of God. Yeah. <laughs> That's great, Don. Thank you for that. Yep. Um, let's move on to love, uh, love and holiness. This is th- these are these these are often uh, highlights or 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 uh, center attributes, uh, cardinal attributes, as some would say. Um, and I, I, I tried to keep them short, but it was really hard. God's love is his self-giving affection and selfless concern that lead him to actively seek the happiness and well-being of his image-bearing creatures. That was a definition that I, I really liked from another theologian. Uh, Grudem's definition of love, does anybody have that? Look in the glossary. Yeah, we, got, we, we figured that out. Page 237. It's on 1514 in the glossary. God eternally gives of himself to others. Yeah. You know, we're so inclined to think of love as a feeling. It's so important in my 40 years in psychiatric practice to find love as behaving lovingly toward another person. It doesn't matter how you feel. Forget how you feel. If you want to be loving, then, then do the right thing. Behave in a loving way. And forget about how you're feeling. Amen. If you act on how you're feeling, you're not going to be loving. It's not a good share of the time. And it is possible to behave in a loving manner, even when I'm angry with Cheryl. Amen. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it happens true. once a decade. It's possible. Yeah, it's possible. Thank you for that, Don. That That's love is believing, loving. Love is treating someone else in a in a kind manner. Yeah. It's treating them lovingly. Right. It's not how you it's feel. It's a choice. Them. Yeah, it's a choice. Yeah. I brought that up in my. Yeah. Have we ever been mad at God? But when we were. 
worship him and adore who he is, it's, I mean, we, we can get angry at God for the way we're living or the situation we're in, but we still have respect and we still can worship, and that always turns out good when we go back to worship. Amen. Amen. Treating him as he needs out of love. In spite of the way we feel. In spite of the way we feel, yeah. I think David, I mean, even the Psalms, David sometimes oh, yeah. reflected that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sure did. Why? How long? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there, he's got a, and I guess the more I get into this book, I, I'm really appreciating all the Bible verses he, he uses to justify his definitions. If you, in, in years to come, when you pull out this book and you're looking up uh, what is love, or, or you're doing a Bible study, or you're teaching your grandchildren or somebody, uh, the wealth of, of this, you know, one of the reasons I picked this book was all the, all the Bible quotes that he has, but these are just excellent in here. So um, don't, you know, in our, the outlines I've been given out, I, I haven't quoted a bunch of Bible because it's been in the book, but I'm just very impressed by how he's taken all the Bible verses and condensed them into definitions of, of God's character and his attributes. So I absolutely love, uh, <laughs> love, uh, God's love means that God eternally gives of himself to others. Man, that, I guess that's a big takeaway, um, that he, he gives of himself to others eternally. Yeah. Means that even after this life, he's not going to stop loving you. He's not going to stop loving me. He's going to keep giving. Like we, sometimes we think when we get to heaven, we've arrived and you know we can just sit around and play harps or whatever. He's going to keep loving us, giving of himself the infinite, all-powerful, almighty God, the unified God. He's going to keep giving of himself for our betterment forever. What a great God. It's, it just blows me away to think about that. <laughs> and my, uh, I don't know if you underline this too, but the favorite quote I got out of this section at, uh, at, uh, under love, it should cause us great joy to know that it is the purpose of God, the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, to give of themselves to bring us true joy and happiness. It is God's nature to act that way to towards that way. The, the choice, the decision. The, the, it flows out of who He is, though, out of His being. God's nature to act that way towards us towards those upon whom he has set his love, and he will continue to act that way towards us for all eternity. Now, I have a caveat. Please. I get, I get motion sick pretty easy, and especially if, if I get on an airplane and, it, and it's rough. And I remember getting on an airplane, and it was rough, and I was getting, I got motion sick, and I filled my bag and Cheryl's bag, and, and a doctor <laughs> was on the plane behind me waited around afterwards to see if I was going to be able to even get off the plane. But the lesson in that for me was, I, and I remember thinking, God, don't you love me? Can't you get rid of this motion sickness and help me manage this better? Because I was miserable and making everybody near me miserable. And, and what came to me was that God was, is more interested in our character than he is in our comfort. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's true. <laughs> and I've had to go back to that many, many times when I, when my and my comfort is really not God's uppermost concern. But my character is always. 
Okay, excellent. Okay, thank you for that. That's a great, great illustration of your suffering. We've all suffered. We've all go through trials and tribulations. All maybe have have had hateful things done to us. Yeah. Right. And so we wonder when you look at that definition initially. Well, it says that God wants to give Himself for my joy and happiness. And Don's on an airplane saying, "I'm not happy." <laughs> or joyful. Or joyful. So what's going on? And so what, what the bigger picture is, is that he lets us go through terrible things, evil things, and troublesome things. Uh, not, that, not that those things are good in any way, but those things do develop us into the people he wants us to be. Do, they do bring about a character, a transformation in who we are, so that ultimately there is a joy and a happiness and a peace. James 1. Okay. Yeah, so so Romans five verses three through five and James James one uh, verses uh, uh, was it? Oh, I'm in Peter. It's James chapter one. Yeah, it's James chapter one. Count it all joy, my brothers. James chapter one verse two. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, which may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God ultimately wants us to get us to that, that, that maturity, uh, perfect, perfection and completion maturity, uh, and then that's where we can really be joyful, complete. There, is there a difference? Well, happiness is circumstance-driven, where joy should be there. All the time. Amen. I mean, you're going to do this number, but and, and so happiness still remain. The happiness is going to come and go. Excellent. So joy can be a, a characteristic of us even in the midst of dark times, because mm -hmm. we know because we know the truth. We know God. We're safe. We're secure. We have peace. Where happiness can ebb and flow. That that knowing. I mean, that's part of the verse. Because you know that this will bring. And if I don't know that, if I don't believe that, I'm not going to like it. Yeah. Well, and we don't know that unless we go through some of this stuff. We know that we, because of experience and stuff that he's allowed us to go through, we know how he has delivered us before. He may not deliver us the same way out of the same situation, but he's faithful in that he is going, he's going to use that situation to develop something in us that's lacking. I really and drive like us it. closer to him too. You know, if we get to the point where we're so independent, we're no good to him. He wants us to. He wants us to depend on him, call on him, and to stay in that attitude where we're not looking for someone else's relief other than him. Amen. Well, and that's that's um, trusting him. I mean, just trusting that word that it will develop this. It will. I don't like what I'm going through. You know, I've, I've prayed for my, my wife's healing for 20 years, and she's not healed yet. But I'm trusting, and I know, you know, some of those things that ultimately God is at work, and he's got an outcome that he wants to see in his wisdom. He knows the best outcome, and he knows the best way to get there. That's what definition we learned. Dave? Um, 
I, I see the word true joy here, and I go back to page 224, the last paragraph. It says, when we realize that God is the perfection of all that we long for or desire, that he is the summation of everything beautiful or desirable. I just love that. <laughs> God is the summation of everything beautiful or desirable. Um, and then the last, at the last of that paragraph, it says, um, this vision of God will be consummation of our knowing God and will give us full delight and joy for all eternity. In your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand pleasures forevermore. I just... That's a great way to tie that in. I mean, that, and that's under invisibility. <laughs> I don't know how you got that under invisibility, but it's, I mean, I just put stars by that. I was like, man, that's some deep thinking there. It is, and praise God. All so that we long for. The, the best thing we can get is to know God. Yeah. Um, is the summation of that. I, you know, most of the translations translate Romans 8.28, as does the ESV, and we know that for those who love God, all things work for all things together for good. The NIV I like so much better, and it's a minor point, but the NIV says, in all things God works for the good of those who in love him and are called according to his purpose. In all things. It doesn't try to make those things good. Hey Amen. I bet in uh, 40 years of psychiatric practice, you saw some bad things. I saw lots. Yeah. And so, in, in all things, that's a big statement. And God is able and sufficient and capable to bring good outcomes, even in the worst of yeah, things. Yeah, that's what's so marvelous. He can actually take really bad things and bring good out of it. And he never calls the bad things good. No. I have to clarify that. The thorn, the thorn in Paul's side. It's a yeah, bad thing. Was fulfilled and joyful. Yeah, the, the things that are happening in Ukraine or even on our streets right now in Alamosa, we can't call them good. Right. But can God use those things ultimately for good ends and outcomes? Of course he can. Yeah. Uh, so uh, love, and then there's holiness. And the, the other, so love is often, and we'll talk about that in a moment, it's often one of the, lifted up as the greatest attribute. Holiness is also lifted up as one of the greatest attributes. And again, I, I found a, a different theologian here just because I, I liked how he, uh, this is Stanley Grins, he's, he's gone to glory. Um, but three meanings of holiness in the Bible, God's transcendence, God's uniqueness, and God's moral uprightness. God is holy in that he is different from creation, right? So he, we, we studied that. He's totally different from creation. He's other. <laughs> he, he's spirit. And we can't even describe what spirit is because it's not created. We learned that. So he's totally different from creation. He is beyond the world he made. So transcendent. Uh, it's like, and so that's an aspect of holiness in this, this, this man's opinion. Likewise, God is also holy and is unique among and set apart from all the gods. There's no God like our God. Um, holiness, however, is also an appropriate description of a dimension of God's moral character. God is holy in that he is just and totally righteous in all he does. Um, just and totally righteous in all he does. Mm -hmm. He's holy. Uh, I think uh, it was Don who quoted the famous verse a few weeks ago from Isaiah 6. 
Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Uh, complete holiness. Complete separation. Complete uh, distinctiveness. Complete uh, moral... That's what the seraphim are also singing around the throne. Yeah. Acknowledging that oh, characteristic and yeah, how distinct and how different he is, transcendent he is above everything that's been made. It's beautiful. Um, your, I mean, in your past, have you thought, defined holiness in a certain way different from this? Or have you heard about holiness like mischaracterized in some way? I'm, I'm kind of fishing here. I'm just wondering if, if there's been ideas or definitions in your mind of holiness that have been harmful or hurtful. Sometimes when you tell, sometimes when I tell people I'm a Christian, they automatically judge and say, "Oh, you're holier than thou. You're going to start telling me that you know all these things and put yourself up as a holier than thou person." So a holy, a holy, a holy, holy person in that sense is a hypocrite or or a and judge. Right, the judgmental hypocrite. Right. Holy roller. So a holy roller. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have you been one of those before? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> it's fun, yeah. Hypocrisy is one of the virtues known. This is really dumb, but hypocrisy is one of the only virtues known to man. If you define it as we can try to be or pretend to be better than we are, animals aren't that way. Mm -hmm. I they, 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 we got a lab that might be that way. <laughs> uh, okay, so so our, our maybe our definition of holiness it, it doesn't shine a good light on God's holiness. When we talk about holiness as humans, we, we often think about it in negative connotations yeah. of judgmental or, or hypocritical. But God God's holiness is the purity of, of like without that. sin. I really like that. I remember when I realized holiness is two things at least. It's the set apartness on one hand, and it's the purity on the other hand. Different things. Amen. We have been uh, we've been a, we've been a set apart um, to God. We've been made holy. Sanctification can be a dis description of holiness. And we are called saints. We're called saints, yep, to the saints in, in Galatia or, or, or Ephesus. Um, so, uh, I, and this is another quote, and I, I don't know, I'll, I'll read it. Why, don't we, why we don't want an unholy God. I may want this teddy bear God when I'm feeling guilty, when my conscience is bugging me, or when I, when I want to rationalize my desire for sin. But I do not want this God in the long run. This God is like permissive parents who let their kids drink and do drugs and have sex without guilt. When we were young, we thought they were cool, but they weren't. They were lazy and did not really love their kids. I don't want a God who says, it's cool, don't sweat it, everyone sins. Just do it without guilt, dude. <laughs> guilt stinks. Uh, just have a good time. This God does not love me. Being soft on sin is not loving because sin destroys. I want a God who hates everything, anything that hurts me. Hate is a strong word, but a good one, because the true God not only hates what destroys me, sin and alienation, but also has taken steps to destroy my destroyer. I love him, and because this God destroys sin by making supreme sacrifice himself, taking all the guilt and pain and suffering, my sin upon himself, I love him with an everlasting love. Uh, that, I found that under a, a, an author that was talking about God's holiness and how it can be intimidating, or maybe we, maybe we think sometimes we 
you know, like, why is he so harsh or why is he so, you know, right or wrong and, and so either or? And, and why doesn't he just chill out? Who was the author? Uh, I put it on the notes there. Um, uh, James Bryan Smith. The Good and Beautiful God. So he's, he's got some neat ways to say things. Do, do you agree with that? What, what, is, what is love? It's always seeking the betterment of somebody. It's always seeking the best for somebody. And to, to let someone go down a road of destruction um, as a parent uh, is, you know, so he's, he's making an analogy of parenthood to God's holiness. Um, and so there, there's some, the analogies always fall apart in some sense, but I, I liked it there. As you read the chapter on holiness, was there anything that stuck out to you or anything you wanted to talk about? Anything you underlined there that you thought was pertinent or helpful? It's on page 240 to 242. His definition is God's holiness means that he is separated from sin and devoted to seeking his own honor. Yeah, it's like we need to learn to hate the things that God hates and love the things that God loves. Amen. So the question on that, go on in 241 where it says, Paul encourages Christians to be separate from the dominating influence that comes from close association with unbelievers. And Which that, uh, paragraph are you in? Uh, it's at yeah, the bottom of 241. And it says that comes from close association that's basically doesn't mean that you don't associate with unbelievers in a way that you're not, you're basically not joining in what they're doing, but you're trying to get them to... You're never going to bring anybody to God if you associate right. with them, you know, non-believers. So we write the fine line, right? So, you know, if you know family members who aren't Christians, who don't believe in Jesus Christ, does it, does anybody have a story or an account of uh, associating with uh, lost people intentionally and it turned out well yeah okay thank you is that right yeah. What, what else? What other times have you made a big, uh, just along those lines, where you've, you know, chosen to associate with lost people, and it's something's good ha has happened. I can say that for the Overcomers Outreach. Mm -hmm. There's right. lost people. We all are, you know, especially in that group. <laughs> um, Amen. There's some good that's coming from it. Amen. Pretty good discussions. Yeah. I had a Bible reading. A Bible study of just believers in and believers. And uh, the one lady really became a Christian, and then down the road, she actually led a study and, uh, of people that she knew that weren't Christians. So it was, it was amazing. So it's, it's very clear, I mean, that we are supposed to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, 
and, and we're not going there geographically. <laughs> there's, there's lost people in different geographies or different places around the world. We're going there for the people, for the lost people, right? And so we're, we're supposed to go and associate and, and live with people in an intentional way for their good, because what is love? Seeking their better, betterment. We, we follow Jesus Christ. He came to us stinkers and, and sinners, and, and he, he came for our betterment, and we're sent out to make our lives a, a means of bettering them or helping them and bringing the gospel to them. What is, what is the so, warning there, though, that, that, that I, I, Art and Nancy are pointing out? I, I would uh, comment on that. I think reading it a little bit closely, domin the dominating, be separate from the dominating influence that comes from close association. Right. Close association. Close association right. and the dominating influence. Right. So, like, yeah. so at some point we, we go to uh, like I just read a book uh, that was let, let me read about a book in the Philippines about going to tribes in the boonies. Uh, I can go live among them and they might have cultural standards or ways of living that are sinful. I can be with them and love them, but I don't join in to, with the sin. I, I don't I don't enter into their wickedness. Right. Stories in the, in the scripture. <coughs> sending these people to this culture, but don't adopt their beliefs, don't adopt their God. Take Amen. your God. Yeah, we are, God is holy and we are to be holy as God is holy. So we're supposed to reflect His character, we're supposed to choose His, His principles, His precepts, His way of living. We're supposed to be righteous. And so we, we go and we, in our own families, we have lost people. Mm -hmm. Right, of course. And, and we, we enter in with that, but we don't let them we don't join in with their sin, and if they are, if we're, if we're find that we're weak, and we can be dominated, we do need to have some measure of separation there. Mm -hmm. Does it say somewhere in Proverbs that bad company corrupts good behavior? character, or good character, or good good behavior, or good character, depending on the translation? Yeah. But we're told that we have to go. We're we're told to go out into the world and preach the gospel. The world is evil. <laughs> you know, I mean. Yeah. So finding that balance, like you said, yeah. there's there is a fine line there of close enough to love people and to, to befriend people and live with people, and yet not enter into behaviors that are are unholy. I mean, it was. I mean, you always always go back to Samson, and then this whole deal oh, that yeah. went down there. What happened? You know. Yeah. He got his Why hair cut. Yeah. <laughs> Bummer. So. Uh, Yeah. If you have a besetting sin in your life or you have something that you constantly stumble in, you don't necessarily approach that lifestyle just uh, and, and presumptuously say that, oh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm on a mission for God here and there's no way I'm going to fall. <laughs> that's, that's not a good strategy. Uh, it's, it's a point of repeated emphasis in the Bible, and this is the, on your outline, that the believer is to be like God. Thus, because God is holy, they who are his followers are also to be called holy, uh, to be holy. God is not only is personally free from any moral wickedness or evil, he is unable to tolerate the presence of evil. He is, as it were, allergic to sin and evil. Those who are his must therefore seek the same holiness that is so basic to his own nature. We're trying to be like Jesus Christ, uh, you know, by the power of the Spirit. In and of ourselves we can't, but we're, we're shooting for... Christ-likeness and holiness is an attribute of God, and so we want to be holy people. 
And we've uh, got about 15 minutes. Just thank you. Appreciate it. Is that are, are we getting holiness? Is separation from sin and devoted to seeking His own honor? So the big part for us is um, if I am currently uh, allowing sin to dominate my life, or or if I'm walking in a way that sin is just present, I'm not seeking holiness. You know, we, we, we have to fight against those sinful tendencies and temptations and lifestyles. It's a battle. It's something we choose to do because we want to worship God and emulate Him. Yeah, Dave. So we're the light of the world, and light dispels darkness. So we're to live, be in the world, but not of the world. And that light... Are we going to allow our light to go out when we go in amongst unbelievers to be corrupted by and fall into sin with them because that's not being the light. We're letting our light go out. Yes, sir. So yeah. we need to, I, I think, keep, when we're amongst unbelievers, when we're in that place of vulnerability, remember that we're the light. We are to be different, even though we're in the environment of Amen. Bad, bad company. Amen. Well, and that environment doesn't have to be this overly, like, terrible, obvious sin. It can be as subtle as, like, But oh, we what, have the power to dispel to the darkness. Watching. Right. We have that in us. Like, yeah. Wow. But if we shrink back and just, mm -hmm. oh, it's not a big deal. Then we just let our light go out. Yeah. And, and, then, and then we are apathetic. Yeah. Amen. You know, um, it says that God is, as it were, allergic to sin and evil. And you can also say that Satan's allergic to holiness. Mm -hmm. So when my sister said, let's, yeah. give him, let's give him the hives. <laughs> you have a co-worker this week you want to give the hives to Amen. I uh, thank you, Blaine. Uh, if you're interested in holiness and love, one, which one is greater? I put a paragraph there. I'll let you check that out later because uh, a lot of theologians lift up love as the greatest and others lift up holiness as the greatest attribute. And of course, Grudem is saying that uh, we don't want to lift anyone up as greater than the other. But you can read that paragraph. Um, but let's move on to righteousness. Second dimension of God's moral purity is his righteousness. 
That is, as it were, the holiness of God applied to his relationships to other beings. In other words, God commands only what is right, and that will therefore have a positive effect on a believer who obeys. The righteousness of God also means that his actions are in accord with the law which he himself has established. Uh, righteousness, I, I don't know how often we use that word in normal conversation or normal situations. Hey, that's righteous, dude. <laughs> I think surfers use that. And, uh, but uh, I don't know, it's, it's a word that we don't often use in normal conversation. Um, given uh, this attribute of God, will there be anyone in heaven or hell who is there by mistake or is there unfairly? The, the, the answer is no, because God is righteous. I didn't put anything for peace because I didn't understand that one. Did anybody really enjoy reading about peace? Or did that make sense as an attribute from Grudem? My, my, my head was, I was scratching my head at that to really make it relevant in my life. You're all excited about it, so I'm going to move on to jealousy. Um, uh, jealousy, what's, uh, what's, somebody read the definition of jealousy. Seeks to protect his own honor. Uh, that's uh, how is God's jealousy not a bad thing in His life, but it can be a negative attribute in ours. Well, his jealousy in the Bible was almost always in connection with idols. Mm -hmm. His jealousy was when the Israelites or when we had an idol in place of Him. Mm -hmm. Then He's jealous. That's a legitimate jealousy. Amen. And so if I've got uh, idols that I'm comparing to God or lifting up to God's level, that is so dishonoring to God. Because yeah. every idol that we have is, is a this-worldly thing or a created thing. It's a man-made thing. It's, a, it's something that doesn't have any of the attributes or not even close to infinite uh, almighty God. So it's a terrible dishonoring of God to worship something that's not God. Is it also used in connection with the analogy of husbands and wives and the, the people of God being his, yes. his wife, the church being his wife, and a jealousy that can grow out of that when we're uh, unfaithful? Yes, sir. Yeah. Old Testament and New two Testament. Contexts, at least. Yes. Yeah. Old Testament and New Testament compares the relationship of God's people to a marriage yeah. with God. So if we are, have idols in our life, it's like cheating on God, yeah. dishonoring to God. Good. And idols aren't just carved figurines. No, <laughs> very well said, yeah. Can anybody share it, an idol that they've had in their life that wasn't a carved statue? Money. Money. <laughs> Other, another idol that maybe you've worshipped before? Food. Children. Children. Yeah. House. House. Spouse. Spouse. No. We are an idol making factory. The human heart is an idol making factory. There's no end to idols that you can make. A building can be an idol. For sure. Anything can be an idol. Uh, at the bottom of that, page 245. Uh, it's, it says, 
It is healthy for us, the, the last paragraph before the wrath, it is healthy for us spiritually when we settle in our hearts the fact that God deserves all honor and glory from his creation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, he deserves all the honor and glory we can give him. There, there, it's, it's, we can never, and th- that is right for him to seek his honor. He alone is infinitely worth being praised. To realize this fact and delight in it is to find the secret of true worship. Mm-hmm. I guess we, we can't we can't really uh, we can't really verify that until we've actually <laughs> praised him <laughs> and lived it out. So try that if you want to know what worship true worship is. Uh, chase that rabbit. Uh, give God all the praise he's he's worthy of. Um, wrath. Uh, this is this is uh, God. God's wrath means that He intensely hates all sin. And and we joked last week about God being a hater. And uh, He He hates all sin because because what's the consequence? What what does sin do? Separates. Separates. What does it What does it do to us? Our relationship with God it separates us. But what does it do to the the object of His love? Destroys. And so he, he hates sin because it destroys you. It destroys me. And so would you, would you like to worship a God that didn't hate sin? We, you know, sometimes we think about it like, oh, God's wrathful. Oh. And Gruden's point is like, you want a God that's wrathful because he hates sin. If God winked at sin, you wouldn't want that kind of God. So it's a, it's a necessary attribute for a perfectly loving God and a holy God. Um, let's move. Let's move on in the remaining uh, 120 seconds. <laughs> I, I should ask: um, any is, are the any of these other ones that you're really int- wanting to talk about? I, I struggle with the summary attributes of God. They, they seemed, other than the glory part. Um, I didn't get a lot of traction in those. Of course, God is perfect. He's beautiful. He's blessed. Um, and our, uh, boy, read on the secret will of God and the revealed will of God. That was fascinating. But we'll get into that when we get into God's providence. Mm-hmm. We'll really hit that hard. But that was a great introduction to providence. God's secret will and revealed will. Um, let, let me close at this. The last question at the end of on the back of your outline. As you study the list of God's attributes, share one or two things that you've learned about God that's, that have been meaningful to you. Of all these attributes, is there one or two of them that really have resonated with you or really hit you between the eyes or really blessed you uh, to know more about? Yes, that's that's a fascinating and a mysterious truth. He's certainly not there in his preferred capacity to bless people. He's there in some other capacity. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So that that attribute was really interesting. God's omnipresence, even in hell. Um, what what a, has there been another attribute that you we've studied that really something about it really hits you, or you really enjoyed reading about, or learning about? Peace. Just to 
he's uh, the definition of God being in his actions. He is separate from all confusion and disorder. That's neat. He's not stirred up by anything. He's at peace. I think it's a reminder that he is a whole unit. He is complete. He's not compartmentalized. Mm-hmm. I mean, you get the whole bag. Yeah. With the, the fullness of God, you're, you're not just getting his wrath. You're not just getting his, his justice. He's, you're getting his love at the same time. There's nothing missing, that unity. Gruden mentions John 3.36 in the top of page 2.46. That, that struck me because I know that Francis Schaeffer never, and I shouldn't say never, he almost, almost never quoted John 3.16, which we all know, without quoting John 3.36 which says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. He said that right along with John 3.16. So the, the understanding of that is before we meet Jesus Christ and, and are saved, the wrath of God is upon it's everybody honest. who's not yet a Christian. Yeah. Yeah. It's a reality. It's a reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my, I think the thing that stuck out to me most was the attribute of God's love the uh, sense that he, as it's stated, actively seeking the happiness and joy of his, his creation. That struck me in a certain way uh, because I, I've, I've probably overdone it in terms of God's holiness sometimes. I've lifted that one up as a higher attribute. And to think that God is interested in my happiness, just reading that statement kind of blew me away uh, in, in a good way. That's, now, what, that's what I love. Brennan Manning's statement that I have a father who's so fond of me. Yeah, I just love that. We all have a father who's really very fond of us. He doesn't just love us; he's very fond of us. Yeah, yeah, and and, and even with the the, uh, the caveat that we uh, he's not there just to make us happy. He's more interested in our character. Ultimately, he wants us to have joy oh, yeah. and live in joy. That that was sweet to me. Was there any any other ones, Dave? Um, on blessedness on two sixty one, blessedness means that God fully delights in Himself and in all that reflects His character. And then it says, God rejoices in His creation, and even when He rejoices in us, it really it is really the reflection of His own excellent qualities in which He re- is rejoicing. He's rejoicing in himself when he's rejoicing in us. I just thought that was neat. Uh, when we remember that the sum of everything that is desirable and excellent is found in infinite measure in God himself. I mean, he's, he's exalt. I mean, he's rejoicing in himself when he's rejoicing in his creation. And I just think, wow. <laughs> so God high-fived himself? <laughs> yeah, but that's in a, it's in a, it's in a good way. Amen. It's I mean, a, yeah, it's, he's worthy he's of honor. Worthy of it. Yeah, there's no, there's no problem there because he is perfect and he's infinite and he's God. Uh, well, let's. Uh, I know that time is running away, so I don't think there's a song that I'm able, we're able to sing tonight. <laughs> so we dare not try. <laughs> okay. Okay, yeah. Do we know all uh, this little light of mine? I'm going to let it shine.
gonna let it shine. This little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Well, Lord God Almighty, send us home safe tonight. We love you. Help us to know you better, and we thank you for your your love and your holiness and all the other attributes holding on together as one. Help us to grow in knowledge of you for your glory, for your honor, for your fame. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless. Good night. Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ, who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand, where he sits making intercession for his people, and right now, He is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life, his death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ, you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.